0: Baltimore Ravens lost last weekend to the Cincinnati Bengals. At least they got to the playoffs, but they didn't advance. One of the reasons they didn't advance, they didn't have Lamar Jackson, who was unable to play in the game with a knee injury yesterday. Coach John Harbaugh and GM Eric DaCosta met with reporters. We're going to let you hear some of what they had to say. we got some things to say about what they had to say. Let's start with Eric DaCosta talking about the current state of Lamar Jackson's contract situation with the team.
1: Well, it certainly takes two to tango, but uh, I think Lamar and I have a great relationship. I think we communicate uh, quite often. Uh, We spent some time together today. As a matter of fact, Uh, we've spoken throughout the season multiple times. And, you know, these negotiations, Jameson, they all happen differently. Are
0: you willing to entertain trade offers about Lamar Jackson?
1: You know, that's something that we're not going to talk about at this point. Um, I talked to Lamar today, as I said. And our focus right now is really to get a long-term deal done. That's our singular focus at this point. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take great communication, give and take. But I'm confident that we'll be on the right path to get that done.
2: In in eight months when you start the season, the 2023 season, uh,
0: is Lamar Jackson, will he be your starting quarterback?
1: I don't see any reason why he won't be, Jamison.
0: Well, I see some reasons why he won't be, and they – are embedded within the things that Eric DaCosta said before. If you're not gonna comment at all on whether or not you entertain trade rumors, that means there's a possibility or trade talks, that means there's a possibility you will entertain trade talks. So there there is a reason why he wouldn't be. What they're doing here, Shereen, this is very simple and to me it's obvious. I could be obviously wrong, but I think what they're doing is they're being very careful in what they say. Because they know Lamar Jackson is listening and they don't want to say anything to inflame the situation. They're already having a hard enough time negotiating with him without him being pissed off. And I think he's a little pissed off about everything that happened last week when there were voices and rumors and whispers that he was not trying hard enough to come back and play because of his contract, and he has every right to say, I'm not going to put myself at further risk if I'm not 100% because I don't have the contract I've earned. I got no problem with that. I got a problem with him not having a contract. I got a problem with him not having an agent who would have gotten him a contract by now or gotten him to a team that would have given him the contract. He shouldn't have had to say, I'm not playing at less than 100%. The contract should be there so he'd be willing to play at less than 100% because he's got the financial security that he's earned. That said, Shireen, I do think there's a chance he's not there. And it's a very simple yep. process. Negotiate a long-term deal. If you don't get a long-term deal done by March 7, and there's no reason to think that somebody's suddenly going to have an epiphany and do a long-term deal when they haven't gotten one done yet, by March 7, they have to decide exclusive or non-exclusive franchise tag. You go non-exclusive, and that sets the process in motion for Lamar Jackson, possibly leaving if there's a team out there that will give him what he wants and that will compensate the Ravens, either with two first-round picks or whatever less than that is negotiated through a trade.
3: Mike, I, I don't know what lends anybody to think that they're going to get a deal done. They've talked for two years. They gave them their best offer, and I don't know that they'll go up on that offer. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, he's two years in a row now. He's missed the end of the season. Last year it was four games, and so they don't make the postseason because he's not there this year they managed to make the postseason but they finished two and four in the games he didn't play losing the first round of the playoffs and frankly i think they would have won that game on sunday if they had had lamar jackson it was way closer than i thought it was going to be and if they had had him i think they win that game so you know you've talked and talked and talked. it's now been four months since they said hey The team announced we didn't get a deal done, move on. We'll talk again. Once the season's over, I don't think they're going to get a deal done before you reach that point where you're going to have to tag him. And I think you're right on Mike. I think if, if you use that tag, not the exclusive tag, if you use the other tag, it'll give you an opportunity to go out and see for him to go out and see what offer he can get would you right now would you take if I'm the Ravens I would two first round draft picks for Lamar Jackson and let him walk away depending of course on what that contract is
0: well I would take them if March 7 comes and goes without a long-term deal I would still hold out hope that between now and then Lamar Jackson will have some sort of an awakening some sort of a realization that he needs to either hire an agent or step away from his expectation that he gets a five-year fully guaranteed contract. That belief has been kind of baked in yep. to the narrative and no one has pushed back against it. Eric DaCosta had a chance to do it yesterday. He declined. He says, we've taken great pride in keeping all details private. He did mention the NFLPA leaked some stuff at one point early in the 2022 season, but I think if I get to March 7 without him having that moment where he says, okay, I'll take the best offer the Ravens make, then it's, it's no different than moving on from a guy who can't run anymore, a guy who can't throw anymore, a guy who makes bad decisions to the point where it hurts the team. It's just an issue that becomes an impediment to the ongoing relationship. The stubbornness of the quarterback to fail to realize how an agent would help him understand the situation and help him negotiate a deal, and otherwise without an agent, to recognize why he's not getting a five-year fully guaranteed contract. We just we just can't work with this anymore. And Shereen, that hinges on Lamar Jackson being able to go to another team and get from them exactly. what he can't get from the Ravens. It's entirely possible that the yep. act of letting him leave the nest – and explore what else the world has to offer is the thing that causes him to come to the conclusion. I'm not going to get any more than what Steve Bishotti is willing to pay me. I better go back to Baltimore. And that may take some time. The anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance transformation may take weeks for Lamar Jackson. I've made the point that you got to keep an eye on the Dolphins because after the draft, they are Fall back into one of the teams being eligible to sign and do an offer sheet they're not now if there's a non-exclusive franchise tag because they don't have a first round pick after the 2023 draft comes and goes they could sign and do an offer sheet because then it's 2024 and 2025 that they would need to have available assuming they don't trade it away or otherwise lose it for another tampering case or some other violation of the rules for now they've got 24 and 25 they could come into play later in the cycle so this could just take a while And all the while, the Ravens are going to be wondering who's our quarterback. So this, I think, has the potential to get even more awkward and clunky than it's been, depending upon what Lamar Jackson does once he has a chance to go see what else is out there or what else isn't out there. Here's something else for you. John Harbaugh, the coach of the team, he, in my view, has tried to craft this niche of bystander to the process. I'm not involved. I'm just watching and waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting for updates like everyone else. I'm not negotiating this deal. Here he is talking about his faith, his belief, that Lamar Jackson will continue to be a member of the Ravens.
2: 100%, you know, 200%. There's no question about it. Uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson is our quarterback. I mean, he's been our quarterback. Everything we've done in terms of building our offense and building our team, uh, how we think in terms of pre- people and put people around them, is based on this incredible young man and his talent, his ability, and his competitiveness. You know, he, he and I were talking today, too, and, and the things about Lamar that, to me, stands out, he's an incredible competitor. I mean, Lamar Jackson, all he wants to do is win at everything he does. You know, Yeah, he's got a lot of talent. He's a very bright guy. He's got a big heart, but he's just a massive competitor, and that's the kind of guys we want to build this team around, guys that love football and guys that love to compete. So uh, that hasn't changed. It'll never change. We, you know, we, you know I've, I've loved Lamar, Eric loves Lamar, and uh, it's not going to change in the future. So, you know, I don't know anything about the details of the whole thing, but I know one thing, I'm like all the fans out there and everybody else, you know, I'll have my fingers crossed and my toes crossed and I'll be saying prayers, and I'm, I have every faith that it's going to get done. And, and, uh, and we've got the best people in the world doing it. I mean, Eric DaCosta is nobody better. And, and, and Eric wants him here, I want him here, Steve wants him here, and Lamar wants to be here. So uh, it's going to work out.
0: I'm, I'm troubled by Harbaugh saying, I don't know much about the details. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, my toes crossed, and I'm praying like everyone else. You're the coach of the team, John. At some point, and we know how John and Jim Harbaugh are. They're intensely competitive. They, they want things to go a certain way. How are you sitting back? How can John Harbaugh – I mean, think about that. We've seen John Harbaugh enough since he became the head coach of the Ravens in 2008 to have an assessment as to whether or not he would just kind of sit back like he's watching a movie or whether he would be yelling at the screen. He's going to be yelling at the screen. He's going to be punching through the screen. What are you guys doing? Hey, Lamar, come on. Let me try to work this out. Lamar, come on. We have to have a conversation here. Lamar, here's how this is going to go. This is just further – evidence to me of number one they're tiptoeing on eggshells around Lamar Jackson and number two number two they're coming to grips with the fact that he's not going to be there and I think Harbaugh in his own way is trying to stake out a corner that he can sit in and say don't blame me if you're upset that Lamar Jackson isn't here
3: I think they're in a really bad spot Mike because If they're hanging on the fact that they're going to try to get Lamar signed, let's say they use the non-exclusive tag on him, whatever, even if they use the exclusive tag, whatever they do, let's just assume they tag him in some way in March. He missed the entire offseason program last year. He's going to miss the entire offseason program this year. You haven't seen him in six weeks and oh yeah by the way guess what you have a new offensive coordinator who's going to come in here so they're going to have to try to find a quarterback if it's not Lamar Jackson like you're gonna have to be looking for a quarterback right away I don't think it's Tyler Huntley now he played much better this past weekend than he did earlier in the season but I don't think Tyler Huntley is who you want as your franchise quarterback to replace Lamar Jackson. So to me, they're just between a rock and a hard place right now in these negotiations with Lamar. And if they are going to move on trying to find somebody to come in to replace Lamar Jackson, it's a very difficult spot that they're in right now, Mike. And, And I don't envy where they are trying to figure all of this out
0: we got some more clues regarding the delicate nature of this process of trying to negotiate a long-term deal with Lamar Jackson when Eric DaCosta commented on the duality of Lamar the player and Lamar the agent. Have a listen to DeCosta on that dynamic.
1: Our relationship with Lamar, I think, is fantastic every single day. Now you can say, well, what's it like negotiating? Uh, that's a challenge, you know, because that's a business relationship. And there's, you know, anytime you negotiate with anybody, it's not always going to be an easy conversation to have. But that doesn't affect our feelings for each other or John's feelings for Lamar, the organization's feelings for Lamar every single day, how his teammates, team. We all understand this is a business transaction. That's the challenge, really, for a player to represent himself, I think. Uh, And we have to keep those two personalities separate, the Lamar Jackson, the, the agent, versus Lamar Jackson, the player. The player is somebody who I hold in extremely high regard. You know, he's a fantastic competitor, one of the most infectious personalities you'll ever see, one of the most talented players in the league, a, a, a truly wonderful person in the community and everything else that he does. So that hasn't changed. That won't change. It, we'll we'll get our, put our heads together. We'll negotiate a contract. Um, I told Lamar that, hey, this thing has been a burden for both of us. And I said, you know, but when this thing is over, we are going to feel like a million bucks
3: better be more than a million
0: there was no comment that you go know, well, we're, we're, we're gonna feel like 250 <laughs> million fully guaranteed over five years or it's not gonna happen and that's the thing shereen eric DaCosta said how much they love lamar jackson the player he never commented on his feelings about yeah. lamar jackson the agent that's where the exasperation comes from again I think he's fully justified without having his long term financial security to resist playing when he's less than 100% because he's in the final game of his contract. He's got no guarantee from anyone. And if he comes out of that Bengals game, if he had played with a wrecked and ruined knee, he's never getting the financial reward that he's already earned. But the problem is, Lamar Jackson, the agent, has failed to secure the bag, has failed to get him paid has failed to properly advise his client on what you need to do. And it's very simple, and, and it's, it's funny. People think that as I say these things, as I elicit these opinions, money is falling from the sky from the pockets of agents. This is a legitimate, honest opinion, folks. I know that I appreciate and I encourage people to be cynical about everything, always be on the lookout for bullcrap. but this is a very basic reality. Players like Richard Sherman just want to save the money. They don't see the value in giving 3%, 2%, 1% to an agent for what they view as a very simple process of exchanging proposals, sending emails, and that's the end of it. That's the beginning of it. That's the culmination of the advice, the counsel, the understanding, the experience that an agent brings to the table to help a player understand how he fits into the broader financial structure of an NFL team. You can't just walk through the door and say, I want Deshaun Watson's contract. You have to have somebody who can explain to you how he got the contract and why you can't get it right now and what you may need to do to try to get it, what your options are, what your path should be. And also, through all the crap of the last week where he's had to deal with this not-so-subtle effort by some to paint him as a villain, a good agent pushes back against guys like Mike Vick who say, put a brace on it and go play. A good agent p- pushes back against anyone in the media who is saying anything remotely negative about Lamar Jackson. You don't have that if you don't have an agent. And the fact that Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent, Shereen, is the main reason why he doesn't have a contract. I'm convinced he would have a contract. He would understand. And and look, the contract would either be with the Ravens or he would say to the Ravens what, Lam- what Deshaun Watson said to the Texans, I'm never playing for you again trade me to another team, and the other team would be the one that had given him the contract. Either way, he'd have it.
3: Oh, no question, Mike. And let's just assume that they apply the non-exclusive tag to him and Mark—like, does Lamar Jackson even know who to call? Do you just sit back and wait for teams to call you? Like, how does that even work without an agent? It's going to be really interesting if it gets to that point. He's trying to handle that. No, by the way, he's still working out and throwing and doing all the things he needs to do. There's not enough hours in the day, Mike, for him to do what he needs to do as Michael, as Lamar Jackson, the agent, and Lamar Jackson, the player. Even in the offseason, there's not enough hours in the day to do that.
0: I vividly recall hearing five years ago in the run-up to the draft where Lamar Jackson was the last pick of round one, the teams were having a difficult time tracking him down to set up visits because you're not calling the agent. You're calling the player directly. What if teams that are ready to negotiate with him can't get in touch with him? And you know, I think back to that period before the draft, one of the reasons he went 32nd, was he didn't have an agent out there pushing back against the crap from people like Bill Polian who suggested he should play receiver. A good agent gets Bill Polian on the line and gives it to Bill Polian and sets him straight and sets the narrative that supports Lamar Jackson and gets him drafted higher. When you're in that run-up to the draft, you've got agents representing the other quarterbacks, boosting their clients, and attacking the others. And it all evens out if everybody's got a good agent. The guy who doesn't have a good agent is the one that they're saying all the crap about, and he's got no one to push back for him. That's just another reason why. Don't get caught up in resenting the fact that you have to pay 1%, 2 or 3% to an agent who you think didn't do anything to earn the money. Agents, good agents, earn their money every single day, and he would have been drafted higher than 32nd, I guarantee you, if he had had an agent back then. And it's going to be hard for him to get that offer he's looking for, five years fully guaranteed. See, I just think he's had this attitude. I was an MVP. I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I shouldn't have to do anything more than that. The money should just fall out of the sky. The contract should just magically appear on my desk. It doesn't work that way. No matter how good you are, it's a process. It is a money-driven process And you've got to work your leverage to get what you want. And even then, you may not get exactly what you want. What the Ravens want now is a new offensive coordinator. Greg Roman is out. The next offensive coordinator of the Ravens, Shireen, will be the seventh one under John Harbaugh, which is a testament to his durability. But every two or three years, out with the old, in with the new. Harbaugh said yesterday, very stridently, it's going to be a highly sought-after job. I ain't so sure about that for the points you were making earlier. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be. We don't know if he's going to be here. Good luck coordinating an offense without the most important player in the offense here for the offseason program.
3: No question, Mike. And I looked up those coordinators that he has, Cam Cameron, Jim Caldwell, Gary Kubiak, Mark Tressman. Marty Morningwig, and Greg Roman. So, yeah, who's going to be interested in that job, not knowing who the quarterback's going to be? And if it's going to be Lamar Jackson, he's not going to be there for your entire offseason program. So how much you're going to be able to change the offense is probably going to be the coordinator adapting to the offense, using the same terminology as what was already there if Lamar Jackson is your quarterback, because you're not going to have him in the offseason. He's not going to be able to learn your offense in the offseason not being there every day. So, yeah, if you have a better job offer, I think other coordinators are going to go other places. So I'm not sure it is a highly coveted job that John Harbaugh thinks it is.
0: I remember when Greg Roman arrived as assistant head coach and tight ends coach in the last year of Marty Morningweg. the handwriting was on the wall that they're going to throw the keys to Roman for what he did with Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers offense years earlier working with Jim Harbaugh. Okay, so who's out there that you're going to point to and say, this is the guy who's already proven that he can properly coordinate a quarterback run-centric offense I mean, who's really out there? It's such a rarity that there aren't a catalog of guys you can flip through and say, we want this one to come run our offense. And Harbaugh made it clear yesterday they're not changing their identity offensively, which tells me it's either going to be Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley, at quarterback for the Ravens in 2023. You're not making wholesale changes. You're not going to make a dramatic overhaul to the attack. You've got to find somebody who can run that attack. You've got to find somebody with the flexibility to basically construct a system that fits the identity that the Ravens are trying to craft. It's not not going to be easy. And... As you said, Shireen, and we see this dynamic play out. We see what the Chargers are going to struggle with trying to get a coordinator. Oh, it should be a desirable job because of Justin Herbert. Yeah, but you know what? Everybody's getting fired if it doesn't work this year. So good luck with that. That's part of what causes guys who have choices to choose to avoid certain situations. And the Ravens may be dealing with that, especially without Lamar Jackson's contract status resolved. But even if you know Lamar is going to be the guy you got to find somebody who can come in and do what they've been doing and do it better than Greg Roman did at Shereen. That's a tall order. That's a very tall order yeah. for John Harbaugh and company.
3: I think Gary Kubiak's probably done coaching, but I think he'd be my first phone call, Mike, if I'm the Ravens, to call and try to get him to come back. To Baltimore and, and run that offense because I think he can do that. He's worked with those types of quarterbacks before and he's been a great offensive coordinator, as we all know, and a great head coach, won a Super Bowl. That would be my first phone call to see if I can entice him to come back.
0: But he's retired. How many times is he going to retire until he's I, actually officially retired? And maybe Clint, maybe Clint. Clint Kubiak, who was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, although it was a very different approach in Minnesota when you have the slow-footed Kirk Cousins. But you you just need somebody who can put together a system that meshes with the identity that the Ravens have made it clear they intend to keep. And that is not going to be attractive to a coordinator who has a system that he wants to run. He doesn't want to go to a place where he's got to ditch his system and start drawing up plays from scratch to fit the player that they are trying to continue to build their offense around. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, how about a look at some of the all-time great postseason moments between the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys? I have a feeling Shireen's memory of each of these moments is going to be even brighter than mine. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Changes coming to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Byron Leftwich, as expected, is out. Eight other assistant coaches also gone. Big changes to that Todd Bowles coaching staff entering year two. This wasn't how it was supposed to go for the Bucs this year when Bruce Arians handed the reins to Todd Bowles, doing him a favor. Thanks for nothing, coach. It was a bad year for the Bucs. Yeah, they made it to the playoffs, but it was still a disappointment. And, Shereen, my big takeaway – there's no way Tom Brady's coming back to the Buccaneers. Not without no. much overhaul of the coaching staff.
3: Not unless they hire Bill nope. O'Brien to no. be the
0: offensive coordinator.
3: <laughs> no, I don't see any way that Tom Brady's back on this team, and I think this was a signal of that, Mike. And you know, it's it is unfortunate with, with what's transpired because this was supposed to be the handoff to something great and they finished with the losing record and Todd Bowles probably is gonna get one more year and I don't know how this team comes back and wins with all the salary cap issues they're going to have. And with Tom Brady being gone, now you've got to go out and find another quarterback uh, to come in and take over this team. So, yeah, this is, to me, is a team in transition. At this point, you tear it down and build it back up. And I guess that's what he's trying to do with the offensive side of the football. But it's not a very good offense this year, even with Tom Brady, Mike. And I don't know that's going to be any better next year.
0: No, and hey, they won their Super Bowl, right? Unexpected, yeah. unlikely when Tom Brady handpicked the Buccaneers. It worked well. They had a great year in 2021 where they made it to the final eight and had that great comeback even though it fell apart because somebody called a, a an all-out blitz and uh, the Rams went over the top and set themselves up for field goal range to win the game and move on. But it, it's just time, and who knows what the Buccaneers – are going to be moving forward, who the quarterback's going to be, who the offensive coordinator's going to be, and how long Todd Bowles is going to last. Which offensive coordinator job? We kind of touched on this earlier. Which one to you, Shireen, is the most appealing? We've got the Ravens, Bucks, Chargers, Commanders. My God. I I think it's easier to list the teams that aren't looking for an offensive coordinator. Ravens, Bucks, Chargers, Commanders, Titans, Rams, Jets, Patriots, Colts, and Cardinals. Well, and I guess any team that... I mean, you've got the Texans as well, and the Broncos Broncos. and the Panthers, since they don't have head coaches. So, which one would be the most attractive to you?
3: You know, when you look at all of those, they mostly have quarterback issues. In fact, I I guess if you want to include the Rams in that, I mean, we know who their quarterback's going to be, but... Do you want to go there with Matthew Stafford? To me, there, there are issues with almost every one of these teams. The one team, I think, where you don't have the quarterback issue is the Chargers with Justin Herbert. And if I'm an offensive coordinator, I would love to go there and work with Justin Herbert. The obvious... Uh, disadvantage of going there is, is it going to be Brandon Staley's last year? And maybe you think, well, I can go in there. I can fix Justin Herbert. We either win or if we don't win, it's not going to be my fault because our offense is going to be so good. And maybe I get a shot at at the head coaching job if Brandon Staley is out next year so I guess I would have to say the Chargers among that group of te- teams the other ones I just don't know about the quarterback situations well enough even the Cardinals you look at Kyler Murray's not going to be there for the start of the season and do you want to work with with Kyler Murray I think that's a big question so every single one of those teams that we're talking about has a quarterback issue aside from the Chargers so that's why I'm going to pick the Chargers
0: and we've seen how offensive coordinator becomes the springboard to head coaching consideration. Ben Johnson with one year in Detroit of having Jared Goff look better than anyone expected. All of a sudden, Ben Johnson is on the short list of head coaching candidates. It really is the, 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 the key piece of the pipeline. And it's an accelerator to becoming a head coaching candidate, but you got to be in a good spot with a good quarterback. That's the key. Who's my quarterback going to be because great players make great coaches Dick Vermeil said at his Hall of Fame induction speech, and I've said this earlier in the week, and I'm repeating myself, but it's true. Marshall Falk made me a hell of a lot smarter coach. You're a lot better coach when you have better players. So I want to know who the quarterback is. And the Chargers, in theory, is attractive, but it just feels like it's a dysfunctional mess. And yep. everybody could be gone after the 2023 season if things don't work the way that they need to. But if it works well, I've laid the foundation to be a head coach somewhere else because look at what I've done with Justin Herbert and I'm going to get the credit. I'm going to get the interviews and I may get a head coaching job. Ed Donatel came to Minnesota to be the defensive coordinator. They shifted the base look from 4-3 to 3-4. He's out after one season. Not a surprise. Took a couple of days. Kevin O'Connell and the organization making the decision to move on. A point I made in a post that I published before the show started today, Shireen, what are the Vikings going to do Conceptually, Are they sticking with the 3-4? Yep. Are they going back to a 4-3? You know, one of the reasons the defense struggled, you've got 4-3 personnel. Yep. You've got to get 3-4 personnel. They had to bring in Jordan Hicks to play inside linebacker along with Eric Kendricks. They got rid of Anthony Barr, who ended up with the Cowboys, because that specific type of outside linebacker didn't fit in a 3-4 defense, period. So are you going to continue – to change the personnel needed to run a three, four, or you're going to hire somebody who's going to go back to a four three. And then you have to undo what you did last year and reconfigure your defense again, just as they were learning the three, four. It's, it's a real challenge. And I think a lot needs to be done defensively. And, and again, it's attractive because the offense is so good. The defense doesn't have to be much better, but the Vikings have to decide what they're looking for by way of how their defense is going to present itself on the field.
3: Yeah, there's just certain teams, Mike, that you think of as 4-3 defenses, 3-4 defense, because they've been that way their entire history. And the Vikings were a 4-3 team for their entire history, I think aside from one year before this past season. And then they try to come in without the personnel and say, we're switching to the 3-4. And they drafted players to fit the 3-4, and they got very little out of their draft class in 2022. They're old, they're slow, and they still don't have the personnel to fit the 3-4, which is why they ended up 31st in point in yards and 28th in points. They were horrible, and it's why they're sitting at home today rather than getting ready to play in a playoff game this weekend. So it's a huge question for Kevin O'Connell. Do we go back to the four, three, where we have more of that personnel, or do we stick with the three, four, but either way, those players are now going to be learning a new defense and a new defensive coordinator in the second year of Kevin O'Connell's tenure. So this was a monstrous failure, uh, by the Vikings. And, you know, I blame more the decision to go to the three, four, which was Kevin O'Connell's decision then I blame the defensive coordinator because he got one year without any kind of personnel to, to try to make this change, and it, and it wasn't going to work out. It was disastrous and a disastrous decision from the start.
0: Well, and the whole idea of getting Ed Donatel is they wanted somebody who would run Vic Fangio's defense, and Fangio had just gotten fired by the Broncos. Fangio's interviewing now, and he's been linked to Sean Payton. Yeah. Why not just call Fangio? If you're going to continue right. this path... If you, if you wanted Fangio's defense, get Fangio. That would be a win for the Vikings if they could pull that off. I think Brian Flora is a guy who could maybe come in and continue this 3-4 base front that they're trying to do. And I know that defenses are multiple and they do a bunch of right. different things. Whatever the Vikings were doing last year, it didn't work especially in the playoffs when that defense was exposed for what it is and it dragged down the offense and it dragged down the team. So it's a huge decision for the Vikings, and it's a huge move to try to elevate this team to balance out the offense that it has. It's just out of whack. They shouldn't have been 13-4. and They gave up more points than they scored. They need balance. We need balance to take a break. The Broncos need a lot more than balance. Well, they do need balance. The defense is great. Well, if the Vikings and Broncos could just merge and go with he Minnesota's be, offense yeah. and Denver's defense, they'd be unstoppable. Russell Wilson reportedly getting involved in doing what needs to be done to get the coach who can turn his career around. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this.
2: Around any corner...
3: you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially when we come through it's true magic because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort after their historic
0: comeback win in the wild card round Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars head to Kansas City to take on Patrick Mahomes and the top-seeded Chiefs in an AFC divisional matchup on Saturday Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBC and Peacock. I will be there. I am walking out the door literally as soon as we are done today to head to Kansas City. All right. A team that would very much like to get back to the AFC Championship, a team that hasn't been to the playoffs since winning Super Bowl 57 years ago, the Denver Broncos. Colin Coward, who has Sean Payton on his show all the time, so we know where Colin Coward is getting his information, said Thursday that Russell Wilson has reached out to Sean Payton, wants him as the Broncos coach. Sean Payton interviewed for the job on Tuesday. Payton has also been connected to the Cardinals, the Panthers, and the Texans. I don't know how I'd feel about this if I'm Greg Penner, the CEO of the Broncos, thinking that there's a media campaign being waged to try to get me that Broncos job. And I don't know that Peyton really wants that job. I don't know that deep down he believes in Russell Wilson, but if what Colin Coward is saying is true and I don't know how big of an, if that is, but if it's true, Russell Wilson realizes that number one, he needs to be fixed. And number two, Sean Payton's the guy to fix him.
3: Yeah. I think I'm encouraged by him doing that, Mike, that he sees a need to get help. And and he turns to the guy who we all think is one of the best guys in the NFL at offense, and that's Sean Payton. And he's proved it over and over and over again. I guess the question is, what does Sean Payton think of Russell Wilson? Does he think he's fixable? We've heard rumors that he does think that Russell Wilson is fixable. And if he does, then that makes sense because you have ownership that's going to be willing to dole out that money. There's going to be excitement with the Broncos and with their fans again, thinking that Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson. And they know they have the defense uh, capable of, of contending. So if I'm Payton though, I don't know if I want to go play in that division, Mike, you're going to have to face Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs year after year after year to, to try to win that division. It just seems like an awfully tall task. And by the way, you've got Justin Herbert in there as well. It's just, To me, it's a tall task to try to win that division. Um, And I don't know if that would be, for that reason, the place that I would want to go.
0: It's a no-lose proposition for Peyton because if he goes to Denver and Russell Wilson isn't fixed, it's not Peyton's fault. Russell Wilson is just broken. It's a good point. It can't be fixed. That would be the narrative. That would be the end result. And when Peyton first addressed Denver on Fox a couple of weeks ago and was asked the quarterback question, he he didn't come right out and say I can deal with a bad quarterback situation, but he said when he went to New Orleans he had no quarterback situation. Remember they tried to get Tony Romo. That's
3: right. Yeah. Peyton
0: and Mickey Loomis did, and and Bill Barcells said no way in hell. So they get Drew Brees after the Dolphins rejected him on a physical, and it all worked out. So what Peyton said is I'm more concerned about ownership and front office, which kind of implied I'm not worried about a bad quarterback. So. Look, I, I don't know what Peyton wants to do. Peyton is still in the process of interviewing. He was supposed to interview today with the Panthers. That's been put on hold because of the death of a player for the Charlotte team in the MLS because David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, also owns that franchise. Um you've got you've got five jobs open. The Colts have yet to show any interest in Peyton. The other four have, although I think the Cardinals interest dissipated once they hired a GM. I think it comes down to Broncos, Panthers, Texans in this cycle. Shereen, which one makes the most sense to you?
3: The, the, to be honest, the Panthers does simply because they have the defensive place. They have the running game in place. They have the offensive line in place. You need the quarterback. You can go out and find your quarterback. And like he said, I'm not really worried about the quarterback because he feels like he can bring a quarterback in. In fact, he did that in his last season in New Orleans. He won with Jameis Winston, who was in and out of the lineup because of injuries. And I, when they play? three quarterbacks, I think, last year, including Ian Book, uh, and still managed to contend uh, in that division. So that is the best division to go to. That is the division where you can step in right now and win and win year after year after year. So to me, that – to make the most sense and they would be willing to step up and pay the 20 to 25 million that he reportedly wants. So the Panthers to me make the most sense even though they don't have the quarterback. You can get that quarterback in that you want, Mike. Yeah, I I,
0: I saw people treating 20 to 25 million per year as news. It's not news, it's a given. No. The Dolphins were going to pay him 20 to 25 million a year. Last year, the best coaches are making more than we realize. This is something we've been talking about for a while. And I've had people who I would think know better try to reach out to me and say that's not true. It is true. I know it's true. I trust the people I've spoken to about it. Because there's no salary cap for coaches, coaches get their official pay, and then they get funneled other amounts from owners that are off the books. not like they're not paying taxes on it, but it's not part of the official compensation because that holds everything down. Officially, that happens. So, you've got Belichick probably at 25 million already. You've got others north of 20. Peyton will be between 20 and 25 million, especially if David Tepper decides after their interview, I got to have this guy. Now, look, there's also a chance you had a couple of type A double positive personalities in the same room and they just decide they hate each other. That's possible. Peyton may go in and Start talking and try to dominate the conversation. And Tepper's thinking, well, what the hell, man? This is my team. I want to talk. And he tries to dominate the conversation. And Sean Payton says, well, what the hell, man? I want to come in and take charge. I don't want to have to deal with this guy that won't shut up. I don't want to be here. Tepper doesn't want him there. I mean, it could all fall apart. We don't know. But I'm fascinated by it because Sean Payton, Tom Brady. If it's going to happen ever, it's going to happen in Carolina. It ain't going to happen in Houston. That's the only other spot of the available jobs with interest in Peyton where it could happen. It could happen in Indy, but the Colts are showing no interest in him. Carolina. And I was talking to somebody about that yesterday. They said, I can't imagine Tom Brady in a Panthers uniform. And my response was, could you imagine him in a Buccaneers uniform three years ago? Did you, right. did you do a double take week one of 2020 when it was Saints-Bucks? You did. And it took you two years. It took me two years to not think of him as Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. So yeah, it'll look weird at first. And then by the end of September, we'll be used to it.
3: And if Sean Payton goes to Carolina, I don't care who the quarterback is, but I'm with you. I think that's the perfect landing spot as well for Tom Brady. And I think it's very possible that could happen if Sean Payton goes there. I think it's Sean Payton and Tom Brady because they do need a quarterback. But if Sean, Payton goes there regardless of who the quarterback is to me they're the favorite in that division going into next year because he's going to improve that offense there's going to be enough offense to go with that defense which is very good and I just think that all of a sudden this is a team that's probably going to dominate that division for years to come
0: absolutely because that's the worst division in football and the opening is there for the Panthers to take over and I also get the question well why would the Saints trade Sean Payton within the division well why would the Saints allow Sean Payton to go talk to David Tepper in the first place they could have said no to that the Saints are in an awkward spot here because Payton has the ultimate hammer he could just say I'll come back and coach you then if you're gonna make it too hard for me to go coach somewhere else fine I'll be back I'm back I got two years left under contract I'm back I don't know what you're gonna do with Dennis Allen I guess he can be the defensive coordinator but I'm back and, and that's why I think at the end of the day, once Peyton decides where he wants to go, the Saints will work out a reasonable deal. They were never getting anything more from him anyway. It's just the way it works. And, and I'm surprised more coaches don't do it. Coaches are reluctant to become free agents, and coaches are reluctant to do this thing where they walk away from one team and then resurface later and pick their next spot. That's what Peyton's doing, whether it's this year or next year. But the one key point to remember, and then we'll take a break, if he doesn't come back this year... That's 20 to $25 million. he's never going to see again anywhere. It's gone forever. I think he's inclined to come back this year. It's just a question of getting that right spot, working out that right deal, and having the right vision for what it's going to take to turn that team around. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll have a draft of the most important non-quarterbacks in the games to come this weekend. We'll do that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
2: He no. sticks the ball out the yes, Bengals have the ball baby. they are running it back oh, Sam oh. Hubbard with blockers behind him Hubbard to the Ravens 40 nice. the 30 nice. the 20 yeah. the 10 the Woo. 5 touchdown about it. Bengals Woo. he tried to pull a Trevor Lawrence and the Bengals said no and Sam Hubbard says I'll take it to the house
0: That was something. That was the moment of the 14-point swing that delivered the victory to the Bengals and sent the Ravens home. What a win that would have been for Baltimore. That would have turned the AFC playoff field on its head. It would have been Ravens at Chiefs and Jaguars at Bills this weekend. So as the weekend approaches, let's draft the most important non-quarterbacks in the divisional round. Shereen, you're up first.
3: Well, we talked a little bit about him earlier, Mike, but Brett Maher, what are you going to do this week? He had the four extra point misses which was an NFL record, regular season or postseason, no kicker since 1932 when they started tracking these stats, had ever missed four extra points in a game. Congratulations on that record, Brett. Five in a row, by the way, Mike, nobody talks about week 18 on grass in Washington. He also missed that one. And guess what? You're playing on grass again this week. He misses kicks this week. Cowboys have no chance. Robbie Gold, If it comes down to a kick, I want Robbie Gold as my kicker. Perfect in the postseason in his career, 25 of 25 on field goals, 37 of 37 on extra points. If it comes down to a kicking contest, give me the 49ers.
0: I wonder if the Cowboys will elevate the kicker they added this week to the practice squad. I think Tristan Vizcaiano is the kicker they added, and activate him on the game day roster and have two kickers. Because it occurred to me Monday night, has anyone ever benched a kicker? You can't bench a kicker because you only have one kicker. You can't you can't go to the bullpen for another kicker during a game. Maybe the Cowboys are going to set themselves up so they can do that in lieu of just going for two all the time. First one for me, I mentioned him earlier, Dexter Lawrence, the Giants' defensive tackle who was dominant against the Vikings. If they are going to make Jalen Hurts one-dimensional, it's going to be Dexter Lawrence wreaking havoc on that offensive line busting through it the way that he burst through the Vikings offensive line and in Jalen Hurts face all day long Dexter Lawrence the key I think to keeping the game close enough for the underrated Giants offense to maybe score enough points to win the game
3: well I'm going to stick on that side of the football Mike with the same team and Xavier McKinney Uh, The Giants' safety, he made that huge fourth down stop on TJ Hawkinson when Kirk Cousins threw the ball short of the line to gain. But he, Adoree Jackson, Leonard Williams, they didn't play in that first meeting with the Eagles. I think those three guys are going to make a huge difference, especially Xavier McKinney. The Eagles in that game rushed for 253 yards and four touchdowns. With those guys back, I don't know that they're going to be able to do that, which means the Giants will be able to keep this game closer. I think Wink Martindale has done a really good job in this stretch right here, these past three games with this defense. Past three games, 308 yards, 18 points a game. They've really played much, much better, and it's because they've gotten healthy on defense. Xavier McKinney is a reason why.
0: I want to pick a 49er, and there are many non-quarterbacks to choose from, primarily because they're the one team of the final eight whose quarterback is kind of a just a passenger on a fast-moving train. I'm going to go with Debo Samuel. I thought about Christian McCaffrey. First, I thought Nick Bosa, but yeah. that's a given. Then I thought Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, I think Debo Samuel is important because you've got this one-two punch. I, I've watched the Rocky movies last week, so I keep – coming back to boxing analogies. But but Christian McCaffrey is the jab, the jab, the jab. And Debo Samuel is the hook. And I think you just, you, you know, McCaffrey is the setup man, and then you use Debo Samuel to deliver the knockout. I, I And I think that if he's healthy, as he seems to be, by virtue of the 133 receiving yards he had on six catches last year and he also, or last week, and he added 32 rushing yards... If he's healthy and he, he we've seen him kind of go next level in these moments in the past, this is a great opportunity for him to not, not necessarily have 150 yards from scrimmage, and he did have 165 last week, but just deliver that key play in the key moment to break the back of a Cowboys defense that— you know, he's kind of puffing his chest out saying, well, they haven't dealt with us. Well, okay, easy to say that until you have Christian McCaffrey with the jab and then the the right hook in the form of Debo Samuel.
3: Yeah, and I'd also thought about picking Christian McCaffrey, Mike, because he's off the injury report for the first time since week 12, that which tells me that he's way healthier than he's been. And you look at four of the last six games, he has 100 yards rushing. He's played really, really well. 49ers have a lot of weapons. I'm going to go with that Bengals game. And we talked a lot about their offensive line. Jackson Carman probably is going to be the left tackle this week with, with uh, Jonah Williams out after dislocating his kneecap last week. I think it's a really important game for him uh, at left tackle they're, he's their third, as we talked about, reserve that's going to be playing within that offensive line. Center Ted Karras and left guard Cordell Vincent are the only starters left healthy. So they've got three big reserves in there that the Chiefs are going to be able, uh, sorry, the Bills are going to be able to take advantage of in that offensive line. But Jackson Carmen has got to do a good job for them to have a chance this week.
0: I mentioned him earlier. I mentioned him yesterday on the way out the door in the show me something draft. I think we need to keep pointing to Gabe Davis of the Buffalo Bills because earlier the context was the Bills need someone other than Stefan Diggs. And last year it was Gabe Davis with four touchdown catches in the divisional round loss to the Chiefs. This is the time. This is the time you step up. You lay the foundation for your second contract. You convince people that you would be more than just an Alvin Harper. To go back to something we showed earlier, Alvin Harper, great with the Cowboys when he had Michael Irvin, never could stand alone anywhere else. If Gabe Davis is ever going to be that guy, this is the time to prove it again in a big spot, step up and be the guy across from it. It sounds like the show me something draft all over again, but I think he's critical to the Bills, firing on all cylinders and not putting Josh Allen in that spot we talked about earlier, Shereen, where he's trying to do too much.
3: Yeah, they've got to have somebody else step up. If they're going to get to the Super Bowl, Mike, in these next two games, it's got to be Gabe Davis. It's got to be somebody else on that offense, Isaiah McK whoever it is. They've got to have somebody else step up and help Diggs out. It just can't be Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs the whole time.
0: My picks for the week are already out there. When we return, I want to know what Shereen thinks in each of these games. I don't know that you have anything ready, but you have a minute or two to get it together. I want to know the winner, and I want to know the score of every game. We'll do that when PFT Live returns right after this. There are the picks that Sims and I made yesterday. We agree on three of them straight up. Against the spread, though, we disagree on everyone. And he is going with the ultimate emotional hedge, taking the Eagles to beat his Giants and to cover the spread tree. I'm thinking about wearing my Lawrence Taylor jersey tomorrow night in Kansas City when I watch the game with Sims. I don't want to put it in any risk, though, of getting beer on it or something because it's signed with some foul language by Lawrence Taylor. So I'm probably going to leave it here as I pack to get out the door after the show. Before we get out the door, let's start with the first one. Chiefs. Who do you like in that one?
3: I picked the Chiefs 37 to 20. I think they roll over the Jaguars and then can they win in the championship game? Big question for them.
0: Possibly in Kansas city, possibly in Atlanta for that one. Giants Eagles. I've gone with the upset. The Rocky play in Rocky's hometown, but the Eagles playing the role of Apollo Creed. Who do you like in that one?
3: Well, before I even saw your picks, I picked the Giants 21-20. I think it's a close game. Comes down to the end. I think the Giants are playing better right now.
0: Sunday, the Bills are favored. The Bengals don't care. But without those offensive linemen, I can't imagine the Bengals staying within five and a half points of the Bills. The DeMar Hamlin lift, I think he'll be there. I think the Bills get it together in advance. Shereen, what do you think?
3: This was the hardest pick for me, but I'm with you. I think it's the offensive line of the Bengals that leads me to pick the Bills. I'm going Bills 41-38. Wow,
0: so you got the Bengals covering that spread in a very high-scoring game. All right, do you have faith in your Cowboys against the 49ers? I don't.
3: I do not. I have the 49ers winning 24-21. I think it's going to be a great game, but I think the 49ers pull it out.
0: You got another cover, though. You got three of the underdogs covering the spread. I think the 49ers win that game possibly, possibly by more than 10 points. But we'll see. Enjoy the games. See you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.
3: Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.